Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr and you are listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Got a feeling you might know that already, but if not, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this episode. Before I get into it, little public service announcement. As you're going to know if you are a regular, this podcast, which is on 181 episodes, but really 200 episodes over the last five years, is free. And it's currently ad-free, but it does take me many, many hours to put together each week. And I do get a lot of messages from people saying how much they get out of the podcast and and all the rest of it. If that's you and you want to support what I do, here's what you can do. You can share this episode or a favourite episode on social media. You can head over to my website and support by buying some merch, donating, or, which is my favourite way of showing support, buying a copy of Looking Sideways Volume 1. The first Looking Sideways book by myself and Owen Tozer. A lovingly compiled tribute to Californian action sports culture that Chaz Smith in Beach Grit described as a work of art, no less. You can find it by heading to my website www.wearelookingsideways.com and clicking the tab marked book. Clever, eh? All right, on with the episode. That counts as an ad, by the way. Um, in my world. So as you'll know, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm at We Look Sideways, if you want to come and say hello. I've just been up in Aviemore in Scotland for a few days where I was taking part in one of my friends, Leslie McKenna and Hannah Bailey's Wandering Workshops. So we took the team of people who work with me at All Conditions Media up for a few days of working from up there. And it was a chance to take part in this workshop experience ski touring and splitboarding and generally get stuck in up in one of my favorite places in the world it was a brilliant few days and while I was there I decided to grab Leslie Hannah and another pal Lauren McCallum for a chat which is what you're about to listen to this is the first time I've interviewed three people at once I thought it went pretty well actually um, what do you want to chat about asked Leslie when we were preparing and I was like I don't know you know what I'm up you know what I'm like we just press record and see where we end up so that's what we did And uh, it turned into a really brilliant chat, this one, ranged widely and covered a hell of a lot of ground. Like I said, I've never interviewed three people at once on the show, although I have interviewed panels before during live shows of of up to three people. I thought this worked really, really well. Of course, it helped that I was chatting to three of the smartest, most passionate and committed people that I know. I think with this one, it's just best to dive straight in. So here's me, Leslie, Hannah and Lauren having a nice old chat up in Aviemore the other day. Hope you enjoy it. So you, you've come fresh from the office, Lauren. You look, you look like you're fresh from a, Zoom, a stressful Zoom meeting or something. Yeah. What, what are you doing? Um, well, we're about to launch a campaign, like, well, today, tomorrow. What's the campaign? Uh, it's called Crush It for Climate. Um, and so, yeah, we're teaming up with some of the other European chapters and the US just to, you know, get people out there, get them signed up to the newsletter because that's really important so yeah. we can keep in touch. Protect our winters, obviously. Yeah, protect yeah. our winters. Um, and uh, the the code for how we take emails on the, on the website is just broken. Right. So, Have you already launched? Uh, no, not yet. No, no. We we thankfully spotted it before it went live, which right. is which is awesome. But and then, and then you had me messaging you saying like, "Are you going to come and do this podcast?" Or, <laughs> yeah. Or what? Well, you know, it's been all right for the last two 
two and a half years, and then, you know, <laughs> the minute we go and try to launch a campaign, it's like, actually, you know what? I'm just not into it. <laughs> right. So you're going you're gonna to be able to launch? Yeah. Yeah, we will be. But it's just, uh, it just adds that spiciness to it, doesn't it? Right. Should have come splitboarding with us. I know, I should have. Why were you? Like I said, I'm, I'm busy saving the planet while well, you guys are having fun. <laughs> it, I mean, it was, a detox. It, it was good. It was good though, right? I got fresh tracks and everything in yeah. April. Totally. But we had a bit of everything. We were just saying that we had Did like you? two weeks of weather and two days. I should do in Scotland and the Highlands, keeping it real. It was a classic <laughs> Scottish shred experience, but we did have some powder turns down the gun barrel. So you can't complain. I reckon I had a legit powder turn today. Yeah. I reckon that was all right. I mean, that one that you took a picture of was probably not very legit. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like, slowed down to a standstill. But come um, on, the pressure of saying, you know, you get the, ca- the camera and say, right, do a powder slash. I know the pressure of in, that. In, like, April, Scottish. <laughs> yeah, and, like, on Heather. But no, it was fun. It's fun. I mean, that run we had down that gun barrel was, was really good, wasn't it? I really enjoyed that. I mean, I absolutely love getting out of the hills in Scotland, regardless of the weather, because the challenge element it, element of it and you're there you're really you can't be anywhere else can you you have to be ready for anything so you're you're right absorbed um in the moment when you're out shredding scotland and i think everyone part of the crew felt that way about it as well challenged by it but but satisfied yeah so we i'm up here with some friends doing this wandering workshop that leslie and hannah have been um what is it second season that you've been doing it now it's really the first season we've been able to run anything yeah. due to COVID, of course. We did talk about it together a lot mm. out touring last year. Yeah. So how do you describe the premise of it? So actually, Lauren's a silent part of Wandering Workshop. She's you, you very much in the background. You often crop up in the, in, in, in the <laughs> so social. I'm everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Ubiquitous. I've heard a few people say that. You're podcasts, a silent actually. partner in it. <laughs> God, not her again. <laughs> Basically, Wandering Workshops is a community interest company. Right. And the aim is to make the the outdoors, and especially, let's say, action sports, and first of all, splitboard and ski touring, more accessible, and to really support people to give it a shot. It's quite intimidating for quite a lot of people to start their first adventures into the backcountry. So that's the that's the first aim of wandering workshops and then the second aim is to also approach the backcountry space and the adventure space from a slightly different perspective and we're aiming to open up what we call a liminal space by going slightly past your comfort zone edge if you like and whether that's into an environment you've never been in before so somewhere different or doing something you've never done before or with people you've never done whatever you're doing with before and also bring a cre- element of creativity into the room and um, the the challenge if you like is something that's really important and what happens through that challenge in a group environment if you're able to facilitate or support the people in the group um, as we aim to do, is some sort of magic happens. And I don't say that um, too frivolously, I really do mean it, that people find connections, people find a deeper meaning and something meaningful to them and valuable to take away that also brings in a connection to bigger themes. And that's where Lauren comes in. You know, Lauren's dealing with those big, meaty, important, um, grown-up themes every day 
but how, how to work with those themes in an everyday environment, how to better tool people up, if you like, to take on the bigger themes. Wandering Workshop's approach is to, to take it from a personal level, take it from a fun level, empower people to know themselves better, to know each other better, to, to have a connection to the environment, and then you see a way forward to link into the bigger themes and a bit of creativity. I've been really struck by that, by the by the way that you um, dealt with that. Because so, a lot of the people that I'm here with, they've, they've skied a bit, they've snowboarded a bit, but they're not like massively experienced or anything. You know, like most people have just done it a bit, you know, and they've been to the Alps or whatever. And like you say, they were definitely a bit daunted by the the whole idea of like ski touring and all the kit and you know like oh we're going to walk uphill and all that you know um and also like when when they sort of got here and they were like where's the snow (laughs) you know like and but you know you can't and you guys have grown up here so this is what you're used to and I've been here a lot so I'm used to it so and I was really impressed with the way that you guys um brought them in you know made it accessible because like you say there's normally a lot of barriers aren't there in, in this world and, and often it feels like people are actually quite happy about the fact that there are those barriers like you know because it's almost part of the the ritual isn't it you know like working it out and you were you guys were very inclusive um doesn't matter how many breaks you take doesn't matter like how, how often we stop you know and you could really see them respond to that and kind of obviously for you guys running the course that must be what you're looking for the way that people are kind of growing in that way right is that a key part of what you try to build into it yeah it's exactly that and it's about providing that safe space where like leslie says more people are invited into this snow space into this for now when we're talking about you know the the wandering workshop we we just were on it's about bringing more people into the split board and ski touring space which like you say has so many barriers and there's this list of barriers that we were aware of before starting wandering workshops but it's just growing and we're kind of um learning as we go what those what barriers people face and in in the case of this workshop that we've just been on of course you know everyone was able to join it and they had the gear sorted and it was more maybe this element of nerves um, maybe kind of feeling less confident about what the environment was going to be like or your skills. And we want to try and open that up for people to realise that, um, you know, you don't have to take the steepest line or the highest, get to the highest summit. It's really about taking, um, providing lots of ways in for people to feel safe. And the other kind of mission of Wandering Workshops is to make ski touring and splitboarding more accessible for more people to bring in more people, which means we're bringing in more perspectives. And perspective is a word that we come back to all the time in the workshops. And as a photographer, journalist, someone who works in communications in the industry, this is where I'm really passionate about it in that I just love and I'm really fueled by the um, concept that wandering workshops can help um, challenge the snow industry or the snow space or whatever you want to call it by bringing in more people um, to show what this space looks like. It's not just um, the same type of people with ice axes or steep skiing in Scotland. It can be just people enjoying a couple of nice cruisy turns or you just go up to eat, you know, your your banana bread at the top. And as long as you're safe, as long as you've got the awareness and the kind of the safety side of it covered, 
then, which is what we're doing in the workshops, um, and trying to break that down and make it easy, then we're bringing in these new perspectives and these new people to the space who will then uh, bring more people like them into it, which yeah. is ultimately like just kind of um, diversifying it. I'm just, it's snowing again. Yeah, it's dumping again. <laughs> really snowing out there. Yeah. The difference of a um, perspective that comes into the, the environment, I want to say come into the room, but obviously we're outside. And on this workshop, we had mountain bike groups as well. This is the first time we've done a multi-sport wandering workshop. But whether you're challenging yourself on a bike or challenging yourself on skis or a snowboard on the mountain, to open up the space to different perspectives brings another challenge in for the other group members. And all of a sudden you realize that you're making assumptions about other people and how they see the world and what the world means to them in terms of the value that they're looking for. And by drawing attention to how people see the world, so what, what do you look at, what do you see, what does that mean to you? Even if everyone's looking at the same thing, all of a sudden, everyone, the group as a whole, has a penny drop moment and realizes there are many, many ways to look at the one context or the one environment. And none of them are wrong and none of them are right. And hopefully what happens over the, the course of the workshop two days is that people begin to get a better understanding of what their own perspective is and why it's important to them where their challenge edge is and what happens to their perspective when they become challenged and stressed and also what that looks like and how um, it affects or interacts um, for other people. And I think that's something that's quite universal. So whether it's a challenging situation in a boardroom, a challenging situation in the activism space, or a challenging situation on the mountain in a storm, knowing how you look at the world, how you react to the world, and how those two things behave together when you're under stress, that's important, it's useful for people. And it, it, it develops a situation, or a situation develops where people get deep meaning from it. So that's the gold a little bit of, of what we're trying to do. It's a little bit like the idea of imperfect advocism. There's no right way to do it. And there's, you know, it might feel clunky and it might feel awkward sometimes, but you've got to sit with the struggle. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you, because these themes that, um, that you've already mentioned, you know, like linking individual experiences to like a bigger community, um, paying attention to like other people's perspectives like barriers that you need to dismantle so that people can feel like they're part of a community like all these like you know we've already mentioned about five different themes which are all about it's kind of a hallmark of your work right Lauren and something so particularly like connecting the individual experience like the in your case like global defining experiences is that is that a conscious thing for you is that something that you try and it feels like it is yeah definitely that's why I just think the work that Wandering Workshops does is just amazing and if we could copy that in many spheres of life with many different you know perspectives and I think we could tackle this you know overwhelming problem that's you know already here it's not incoming it's already here so and it was interesting listening to Hannah talk actually like about all those perspectives and you know not gatekeeping and you know being accessible like what we're actually talking about there really is just movement building and that is essential for us to to you know, to win, I guess, some of the the, the climate policy or, or, you know, topics that we, that we need to sort of get control over. And I think 
if we can learn to do that in snowboarding, in mountain biking, in whatever sport it is, like even any hobby, um, and connect with people that we like, challenge our perspectives, each other's perspectives, figure out solutions, um, then, you know, I just think that's, that's just going to help us get further and, and faster and progress really, you know, quickly, but also, I guess, conscientious, conscientiously as well, um, because these are stressful conversations. Like, if you're out on the hill and you're like, the, the clouds come in and it's blowing a hooli and, you know, there's a stressful situation. Like, those communication skills, when, you know, when we're talking about, um, I'm going to, you know, challenging topics about class, about race, about um, the environment, about how that intersectionality all comes together. If we can equip ourselves with the tools to have those conversations in a sensible and safe way, like we would in yeah. that challenging conversation up the hill, I think it's, it's just such an essential skill for all of us to, to learn, I think, and, and use. Well, it, can, it connects like how these activities can be a way of reframing your experience, basically. And I, I want to bring up in a second what we were talking about today, like that whole Mike Rankwit thing about like different perspectives in like a very monocultural culture, if you like. But what, but to your point, you can't use these experiences as fuel for the bigger conversations can't you and often it it can feel like a bit of a if it's not done authentically and with purpose it can feel a bit of a clunky way in can't it but that's what I've been quite well very impressed by with this couple of days because you're really quite explicit about the way that you want people to you know you're kind of telling people like no no like just look at look at it this way you know like look at this look look at that perspective, like, look at this detail, like, look at this thing. And you can actually see the cogs going, can't you? <laughs> you can mm. see people going like, oh, yeah, like, I can just do that. I can just be reflective about this experience and, and try and think about what it means to me as a person and how it fuels, like, creativity, as mm. you've talked about. And in that way, it does become, like, a really, really effective metaphor, doesn't it, for, like, bigger conversations, really? But it's interesting, Matt, because I think you're saying you know, we are kind of like um, giving the group this sort of focus. Almost, but really that came... Almost permission in yeah. a way. And know. it was coming from them. We were getting that. Well, you're prompting. You know, yeah. It's there. You're prompting. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think that is, you know, carrying on from Lauren's um, points is that dialogue is key. And whilst I was listening to both Les and Lauren thinking about this, how important it is to have dialogue whether it is kind of individually about how you're feeling like when we were up the hill today um i think charlie turned to me and said oh i'm really out of breath and you know she was being honest about how she was feeling about the activity and the challenge and where we where she was right then and i turned around and said to her i am also i'm really you know this is quite tough and she was really surprised and I know that's like a really simple level of dialogue, but it's honest kind of feelings. And from there, we're connected, we have empathy, we can then move forward up the hill and feel it's a little bit easier, actually. You feel easier. And you know that that person's struggling and you can stop and check in. And so dialogue is key on that level, but it's key on all levels. But I think um, it's not just about dialogue, but it's also listening. 
because we were listening to the group what mm. points were coming up what things were they drawn to how are people feeling and really feeding off them and I think listening is key as well and these are two really simple things that um you know we have the ability to use um and I know for um whether it's kind of the climate discussion protect our winters or diversity and inclusion discussion um it all needs just to start with dialogue well it's empathy isn't it because because mm. like if you think about the experience we've just had on the on the hill like last couple of days you have those interactions that are that are common to every experience when a group go, does something like this. Like, there's always the slowest person, for example, you know, and there's always that person then gets really stressed. Um, and when you're faced with that situation, you can either tell them it's not a big deal or you can, like, fuck off down the mountain and, and, and increase their stress. And, like, that's just one example, isn't it, of, like, of, of, like, of, of something that everyone that's listened to this has ever done any activity like this will yeah. recognise. And there's also been that slowest person oh, yeah. in the group and also recognises how stressful it is. And even that, like, this last couple of days, it's like, yeah, don't worry, it's fine, don't worry about it. Like, and we're just going to wait here as long as you want, you know, like, and even that simple act of empathy changes the experience of people. But usually that's not what happens because usually in this kind of environment, it's like if you're the slowest, either keep up or fuck off, basically. And, like, that is a very powerful thing, even that, like, just doing something that simple, really. It's very much an embodied approach, so the embodiment of the feelings of doing something are the, the important bit. So if you can support people to connect to how they feel and then talk about it, um, then you're, you're going to bring out the best view from everybody. There's no right or wrong view. It's their, their unique view. And if everyone can put their un- unique view on the table and collaborate together, you get something that's even bigger than the sum of the parts well this is the the, the dive, you know as you mentioned hannah like the diversity of of influences and you know i mean you talk about this a lot lauren don't we like you know yeah. we've, we've spent hours talking about this over the years you know like how you this is a practical way to increase those perspectives that we need isn't it yeah and i think this is like this is where it's really interesting and that the you know the whole point of it being those experiences become bigger you know, than some of its parts are, are bigger than it is. And I think that's really interesting because if if that's where we can get to, then we can start to speak ar- around multiple spectrums of people. And I think that's really important. And how, and how we sort of relay to life as well. So, like, you know, we need to take everyone with us. And that includes, you know, your small C conservative who probably has very different politics to, make me, say, my personal politics. Probably. Yeah, I would say. Just a wee bit. <laughs> you know, just, just a guess. But it's about... <laughs> just, yeah, just guessing that. Um, you know, my younger self would definitely take them on. Um, but anyways, <laughs> you know, it's about... But I think having that, like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what makes, you know... How did you get to that conclusion? What experiences have you had that have shaped that worldview? How can I challenge that worldview or how can you challenge my worldview and me challenge your worldview nobody gets so overly let's just use the word triggered that like the walls go up you know we hit deadlock nobody's prepared to budge on their perspective I think like there's something in the action sports community where we can build trust between each other Um, and I think that's probably something like you were just talking about like going up 
and just waiting for each other, knowing that somebody's got your back, <laughs> that they're not just going to fuck off down the mountain and be like, yes, yeah, you in the car park. Yeah. You're sitting there, trying to get your Lead with your front shoulder. <laughs> yeah. See <laughs> at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> everyone for later. their own, yeah. you know. Like, even just taking a minute, helping somebody put their skins on if, you know, it's blowing a hoolie. Just, yeah. take, just being a little bit more empathetic, conscientious. Like, it builds that trust, I think. And it just, yeah, I think it's those experiences that we can all relay about. So, like... An interesting one was at COP, for example. Like a lot of the chief negotiators ski, um, and so like I will argue until blue in the face probably about some of the policy that they're putting forward. But the way to get them to listen is like, oh yeah, I've seen that you know you were in wherever yeah. in France last week. Oh, you ski. Oh, you're from, you know, you're from Vale or whatever, and it just opens up that conversation and those shared experiences to build trust and then you know kind of have that more um constructive conversation so that we can again move quicker move forward faster the other thing that strikes me about this conversation though is like me and you leslie have been having this ongoing conversation for quite a few years now about you know like what is progression basically you know what what does it actually mean you know is it like the 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 classic view of like an individual getting better at an activity in a stylish way I'm just like, you know whatever like that's just one off the cuff definition of progression in this context but I think the more I think about this the more I think like progression can just be a way of seeing the world really and if it can it can be a lens through which to increase the the number of viewpoints that are in this scene you know the dip, number of different people we bring in brings me back to that kind of monoculture argument that we were that conversation we were having on the hill today like we were talking about um mike ranquit like bagging people in the states for like not being true to the core of snowboard you know that that kind of chauvinistic like take on snowboarding um and it you know i i wrote that article for pleasure that i shared with you where where it was essentially like well hang on like who gets to fucking choose like at, at this point like who gets to decide like in the year 2022 like what is it like who what what is this thing like and who who gets to be the person that that calls it and i think to me that stance that we're describing is like anti-progression at this point really I, yeah i couldn't agree more this this is where i think the creative lens that we also are trying to bring into wandering workshops can help so creativity um, by just you know using the word suggest something new or something at least um, shown in a new form it's something um, at least repurposed in a, a new or interesting way out of the original context and that's something that is um, usually communally valuable and progressive so to approach progression instead of from a growth perspective, which is obviously the dominant cultural narrative of um, our Western societies at least, but approach it from the, pers the stance of creativity, all of a sudden that idea of communal value or appreciation um, becomes more visible and accomplishment becomes something that is a benefit to more than just the, the individual who achieved whatever it is they achieved, whether it's a piece of art or a new trick. And I think that 
is just a way better, <laughs> to use a, a normative term, um, it, it's a, a more useful way to look at the word progression. And it also allows for all those different viewpoints to come into the you, room. You put it a lot better than I was a way trying to. <laughs> that, <laughs> that benefits everybody and doesn't um, put you down a cul-de-sac looking backwards. Doesn't leave you at the top of the run wondering where all your mates gone because they've just gone, well, your shit. So benefits you everyone. Is yeah, exactly. Key, isn't exactly. it? And I think like the snowboard industry has not, as a whole, been in that space because it has been in the hands of few this is where the problem arises and much in in the world where the power is in the hands of few the influence is considered in the hands of few and this kind of like cool credibility is based on what these few people think which i tend to sit probably at the same table at the pub together and maybe have the same conversations and you know maybe don't have benefiting all at the heart of what they're doing um and I definitely That's think... That's being polite. Yeah, you know me though. I, I try and be polite and optimistic at all times. That's me kind of being a little bit rawer than usual. <laughs> but I think that what Lauren's saying about Protective Ventures and what Wandering Workshops is about and what other grassroots organisations and other great progressive things happening in snowboarding are about is um, letting more people in, trying to help more people come into this space. And break down that barrier of feeling like you're an imposter, you're not cool enough, you can't go in the park, you're too slow, you're too slow at building your splitboard, you, you don't know this, you don't know that. We're afraid to say these things, we're afraid mm. to show our weaknesses. But maybe our organisations and kind of many others around Europe and the world can make the, the weaknesses and the uncool sort of a possible route and... Um, take up more space in this kind of unicultural, more stagnant place in a sense. And as that happens, then there is more dialogue and then there's more care and then there's more, like you're saying, Lauren, um, there's more power in our community to make change out of our community because we'll be together, we'll be listening, we'll have dialogue and we'll be passionate about it. And there's more people in it and that is key. I, I mean, think, oh, go on, sorry, Liz. Um, I think there's a, an important consideration around the word challenge. And, you know, Lauren, you were using the word challenge a lot to challenge somebody's views. And I think challenge is really, really important. And if you consider progression at the top end, if you like, you know, I've spent a lot of my years in the world-class zone of whatever, um, challenge is 100% part of it because without the challenge, you you're, won't stretch into the areas you've not been before. But the conceptualization or the understanding of challenge, having to have a winner and a loser is something that's not helpful. So collaborative challenge where we support one another to go into spaces that we've not been in before and we don't know what's going to happen. We have to work it out as we go. That's real challenge. Which we saw very quickly with a lot of the people in the course today. I mean, that's the experience they all had today, basically. Yeah. And, and to be in that space, to be triggered, stressed, stretched, and not to then revert to I'm a winner or a loser or you're a winner or you're a loser. See at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's where we need to get to. It's repurposing the word challenge um, to a collaborative approach and a process so it then becomes something very optimistic and something that can be 
forward moving and evolutionary or progressive. All these words mm. tend to be a little bit um, overused, but um, when we, we say progression, that's more what we're, we're aiming for. Challenging that narrative. I love this idea that we're you know, challenging the snow sports narrative or the progression narrative or the, what it means to be a winner in this space narrative well when i look at the three of you like on this conversation you know hannah you basically being a skate photographer but coming out from a completely different angle from everybody else and um presumably finding quite a lot of derision and barriers at various points from the kind of traditional approach leslie you with your career as an athlete and then later as you know as an administrator for want of a better phrase but certainly of <laughs> have been faced with um similar barriers lauren i mean fuck me like the you know when when even when we did our thing a couple of years ago like the bullying and the and the the hate you got i, I mean i was hor horrified by that you know um by fucking men who should know better as well yeah <laughs> let's just point that out and also who could not fucking take it when they got a bit back from me um <laughs> but like I, I guess my point is you know you've all been in the position of um like being having overcome these barriers in this this kind of unicultural monoculture whatever you want to call it like approach so is that like kind of fueled this kind of like take you know because it sounds i mean i know with you lauren that's definitely a, like a, a motivator not a motivator but like a consideration you know with the work that you're doing it's a bit of a constant battle for you right like in the world that you're in to kind of overcome that and and continue like holding that thing in the right place right yeah and and I think that's where, like, you know, it does become quite tough. And that resilience that you learn and that resilience that you have within your mates is really important. But, like, I don't know. I just think, I don't know how Hannah feels, but I think, like, we're just really lucky. Because, like, yes, it's been tough, but it would have been so much tougher if people like Leslie didn't break the trail first, <laughs> like, metaphorically and usually literally. <laughs> you know, like, so that sort of resistance, and I think that support, like, you know, when I was getting all that shit online, I was like, oh, God, you know, Leslie, you know, Hannah, like, having those sort of, like, people who know you, who understand you, and being able to be like, fucking whatever, like, it's, it's fine, like, we're fine, you're fine, like, you know, or maybe not you're fine, but, you know, like, we've got this, it's okay. And, like, I guess just supporting each other through those difficult, unknown times, like Leslie was just talking about, makes that movement forward, for whatever better word, um, a lot easier because, like, these are really challenging conversations and something that, you know, I talk about... Um, especially with our ambassadors, is usually the one who's holding up the mirror is, is like, oh, shit, I don't like that. Like, you know, because we're usually touching on things that hmm. are, you know, you're ch challenging or bringing a new worldview into the mix that people have just never thought of before or it's, it just blindsides them that yeah. they kind of feel a bit exposed. And so, you know, you kind of just, like, smash the mirror. Yeah. And it's actually not you they're after. It's just the sort of... the the person who's br like who's bringing that message and and so i think that's where a lot of that like knee-jerk backlash comes from but um i just think like having the support network around you of mates who do the same things or you know you can go and have those experiences with just mm -hmm. makes 
um, it ho so much easier. So with, with you two, with One Dream Workshops, was this, because clearly you've baked this in, haven't you? You know, like this, um, into, the, into what is ostensibly like a couple of days touring and split boarding, you know, but really there's way more going on than this. Um, did you guys like talk about this as like a kind of like you know foundational like part of it? Like, cause you've been quite explicit in this conversation. You've, you've been like, that's what this is about, Hannah. Hannah. You know, you're, 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 you're a bit like, yeah, this is like a really key thing. You know, we want to like open, make this more accessible. We want people to feel like it's a place for them as well. And because yeah. this will, this will have a really positive effect on the community. You've been really explicit about that. So, yeah, I think I'm really, you know, like you're saying with my skate photography, um, and even when you said the word skate photographer, I was like, oh, some people listen to this. I go, she's not a skate photographer, you know, and that makes me laugh already just thinking like, you know, that. Um, but I'm really fueled by doing things differently or doing things, you know, supporting where I believe in something and it's not been done and there's not the support and I'll just go out there and do it and create it. Um, but I've also been very frustrated by this scene in many ways and not having that support. And Lauren knows that because we've had conversations over the past decade yeah. or two about it <laughs> yeah. and you know we That's joked 10 years we've that. joked for 10 years about how oh we're ahead of our time that's what we say we're ahead of our time we're ahead of our time which we're just laughing and joking about it but I mean there's just there's an element there is an element of truth to that exact statement but there's a lot of truth to our jokes but I think like Lauren says um having the support like having Lauren to joke with and kind of get frustrated but laugh ultimately laugh has kept me in it because I need to get back to a place where I feel fueled and enthusiastic about being part of the scene to continue to do continue to do things differently. Because ultimately, doing things differently or for the first time in this space isn't going to gain support at first. And you've got to understand that. And and I have had times where I just want to give up because I'm like, well, you know, I'm not. We're not getting paid for this project again. Are you serious? Like ten years in, we're still not getting paid to do these these like women's only um, films or or projects. You know, still not getting that support. But I think deep down, that's what drives me. I have to accept that. But having the pairing of the support of um, Lauren, where we've very much been on like probably the same path or the path next to each other, I'd say. Um, yeah, for sure. And like you say, Leslie paving the way for us to understand um, what is possible and be realistic about you know how much we're going to have to take on ourselves to make this happen. Um, and I think, um, yeah, like you say, I've... I've been really, me and Leslie come into wandering workshops from different perspectives because we're different humans. Um, and I'm really excited to be able to support Leslie's vision within it. But my vision and my kind of drive and yeah, kind of clear mission, like you say, of bringing in new perspectives and challenging visually what the industry is showing around backcountry touring. Um, that's important to me, but it's also very much in line with what Leslie's saying and and. I think we complement each other's missions and skills. You know, I, I think that um, the really interesting thing, and this is talking from more of a coaching perspective or planning, learning, if you like, which is an area obviously I've spent a lot of time um, in other professional roles in, um, the whole wandering workshops process is completely emergent, context specific, and depends on who turns up. And because we've the three of us really have spent so many years talking about 
what mean what what is meaningful for us what's valuable to us what do we share in terms of um life philosophies if you like how does that connect into the outdoor space we really deeply understand where each of us is coming from and appreciate each other's view um, know where our views overlap, know where perhaps they're a little bit more individual, can accommodate that. So we've done a lot of the back work, if you like, just spending time together so that when we are rolling, we're completely comfortable, Hannah and I, to bounce off of one another. Um, and I, you know, we had a, a couple of friends, Laurie McDonald, who's a, a colleague of mine in the coach developer space, um, was on one of our workshops and it was lovely to have Laurie's feedback about just how emergent the process seemed because that's something that you have to be comfortable um, working on the hoof with. It, it's coming at you. You have to be secure enough to think that you're going to spot it, that you're going to be able to handle it, that you're going to be comfortable in that unknown zone. So you're you're almost um, passing a really delicate ball around the room and it's painting this beautiful picture and the picture belongs to everyone. And that can't happen unless you, unless you let things go a little bit. So mm. I think that's also an important lesson for the action sports world because if you try and lead as a leader in a top-down approach and you know this is how it has to be and if anybody goes outside of these parameters then you know, there will be hell to pay. That misses that magic. It's about being able to respond to the group and what they bring and the context and, and how that shapes what the group brings. Do, you know, these guys have basically talked about you as like a, obviously someone that's been in this position for a long time now, you know. Do you think it's changing? Do you think there are, You've just, Hannah. You've just described an experience. You know, we talked about one of your experiences. You know, you you made a really interesting comment, Hannah, saying like you just got to accept that if you're doing something that's a bit ahead of the curve, emerging, even you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna take a while for people to accept it. Like, do you, do you see any shift in that, Leslie? Do you think there's do you think there's any more? Because we're almost painting a fairly depressing picture <laughs> in a lot of ways, a lot of positives with what you guys are all doing. You know, like and and. and there are definitely different conversations happening. There's definitely more room for different perspectives, but do you, do you see a significant increase in that, given your experience of this sort of conversation that we're having? I feel we're at a bit of a watershed, for sure. I think it's it's been a slow process of change up until now, but I think we're reaching some form of tipping point situation where hopefully the change will become more noticeable and maybe will happen a little bit more quickly. Certain pe certainly people seem to be more open to the idea that the difference is good and doing things in different ways and sharing and collaborating, it brings something really important to, to everybody's benefit. So I'm ever the optimist too. I would say yes, it's, it looks hopeful for the future. Really excited about where this can go and really excited to, to meet all the, the new faces that potentially can come into the outdoor sports space through not just wandering workshops, through all the many other projects that are similar and through all the work that Protect Our Winters are doing and other, and other related groups and charities. How, Lauren, how, I'm interested in your experiences in working in an ostensibly progressive um, world, you know, the world of like climate activism, activism you're a professional, you know, 
in that world. You've got a job doing that. Um, I sometimes get the impression though that you're still coming up against the same sort of barriers and um, opinions and inhibitions. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, like it it is, but it is changing. But I think where we need to support people is that it needs to change a little bit quicker. So like what Leslie was saying, I think we are reaching this tipping point. I think the, the penny is dropping and it's just taking a little while to sort of, you know, um, to, to sort of settle in. And I think a lot of the work that we have to do as well is also like kind of working with some of the brands as well, because they, they tend to sort of, you know, come with us like they would run a sort of traditional marketing campaign. I'm like, whoa, like nobody gets to own this because it's bigger than all of us. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're not here to kind of like promote when your sale is on or like we're here to help, you know, put your perspective and the people that you speak to, add them into this conversation, um, you know, and, and bring people along with us to, to achieve a common goal, which is to have a, a habitable and safe place to live, essentially, um, which is Earth. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, I mean, we are, I do come up against sort of that, who you, you know, you, you, drove a petrol car to get here and you're typing on a you know a keyboard that's by the way got plastics in it which by the way you know like, like that's dying out like I think that's starting to become a bit of a okay boomer um sort of you know response all right mate yeah oh. um um buzzers <laughs> sorry Fina it's one for you <laughs> yeah um but I think it's starting to change and I think people are starting to become more empowered that if we can come together, focus on the big wins, where we can really push the envelope and get it over the line and, you know, like build the world that we want to live in. I, like, I know this sounds so cheesy and like, I bet there's like listeners that just fucking ro eye rolled there, but like, <laughs> you know, it's so true, like nobody's coming to save us. Nobody's going to build the scene or the world that we want. Wait, Elon Musk isn't going to like yeah, save no, everyone. Move to Mars. Like, newsflash: <laughs> No billionaires coming to save us. You know, like Bezos. You know, whatever. Like no, like none of them. Um, they're they're building their 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 gated communities and like like oh, that's not even a joke. That's actually happening. <laughs> um, so you know when. Well, we've seen it. It doesn't take much to tip the world. You know, it really doesn't. And we've seen that at the, the start of the p pandemic, you know, when people are freaking out, buying, you know, all the resources up, buying up all the toilet roll, all the hand sanitizer, you know. So where the fuck am I going with this? <laughs> um, um, I can't even remember. Sorry, it's been a long well, day. Well, I think you were saying that you, you need... You need the vision, you know. Yeah. You need you need the whether it's cheesy or not, whether it's like, and it is a sentiment that definitely does make people cringe. But yeah. but I think that's because it's um, ultimately people don't want to hear it because it's too uncomfortable. Yeah. Because because it, it what you want an easy solution. You want to feel like somebody's going to come along and save the day. You know. You want to feel like somebody's going to invent some. You know. Well, once we get the invention that's going to solve pollution, it'll all be fine. But like yeah. you say, that the pandemic shows that when you've got those real world things that happen, there's no easy solutions and they have huge social and economic impacts. Totally. You said that a lot better than I, than I was <laughs> saying. But yeah, you know, I think, um, I, I just think that th those like sort of 
individual conversations like I'm not good enough so I can't participate it's the same like oh I'm not good enough so I can't go out touring it's like it's no no you can come come with us mm. we'll wait for you like it's okay um, some of us will be further up ahead or some of us will be more skilled we'll take that into perspective but essentially we'll decide where we want to go as a group and I think that is the part of the the what we have to to sort of vision our future and then make it happen um, because you know I can't stress this enough like we just, like the IPCC report came out this week which stands for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Committee it's the UN report and it's basically the best science you're ever going to get from you know multiple nations and thousands of scientists who have fucking de like dedicated their life to this say that we literally have like not too many years left if we want to close the gap and that our governments are lying to us and they're continuing to lie to us like and it didn't really get much news coverage which is kind of crazy but if that doesn't make you want to if that didn't make you sit up in your seat a little bit make you a little bit scared or a little bit concerned then i've got maybe got some questions but i guess what we're trying to do is like we have to be there to challenge that because like if we if we can't do it like if people if like people who love the outdoors can't save the outdoors then who like who can and um and i think that's where those experiences of wandering workshop and everything just compiles and and helps us sort of build the world we want to see it's a bit mm -hmm. of a um leadership style we're dealing with as well you know i think lauren you used the word ownership there and you know, when it comes to organisations and brands at the moment, and the outdoor adventure sports space is also guilty of this, um, leaders like to own stories and things, and people then want to emulate that. And um, once you get into that territory, you're definitely in the territory of, of people being right and wrong and being triggered, and there being an out-group and an in-group, and you're going nowhere fast. And you're certainly then not going to be comfortable as a group to be in an uncomfortable space with big problems to solve. And it's definitely a zero-sum game when you get to that stage. So anyone who is in a leadership position right now needs to be able to optimise everybody's knowledge, experience and perspective and support everyone to be comfortable enough and to feel safe enough in a really uncomfortable world to solve the big problems and that's across the board if we can't do that then as a species we're doomed it's not an easy thing to do and it's certainly not an easy thing to do under the dominant narrative that we've got in our society where the leader is the owner is the boss and nobody else's opinion counts so yeah, it's, it's very much a philosophical standpoint yeah that's interesting and, and kind of within our outdoors industry a lot of the power is in the hands of the brands maybe the athletes underneath that but how can we put more power into more people to kind of elevate and empower their voices. Um, and the media, I think, is really essential in that. And I do think over the past few years, it has changed. I mean, they're listening more to you, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Which they didn't used you, to, honestly. If you think about, you know, I was working with Protector Winters UK with, with Lauren, um, kind of helping on the comm side the past few years. And a few years ago, it was really tough to get the core media to 
put in these topics and they are now and I think you know a lot of that is to do with you and, and pushing it which I think is really really important and I think like there's a statement of the work is never done in in our industry and as the type of people we are I remember being in a meeting um a meeting with a, a load of female skate photographers a few months ago and one, one of them cried out this the work is never done and I remember at that time being like oh but can it not be like I'm really <laughs> tired I'm really because it was actually the meeting was at midnight so it was across all time zones but I was really tired and I could just but then I realized actually no she's right the work is never done I mean it's never going to be done because things are always progressing and moving and that's what is great about it and you want to be fueled by that statement um but I think in some ways for me personally um and just thinking back to this kind of maybe not the full uh climate space and the climate change space and that world fight for the world but just thinking me personally within the outdoor space um I am really you know I see it I see that there is a change in it for me from my perspectives and where I fit in to kind of help or be part of it and I think that's really helping me but also helping me understand how I can be useful within it and I think maybe there's a there's a kind of a lesson for other people in this in what I'm about to say, maybe. Um, and it's about, okay, my, my personal feeling with Wondering Workshops, for example, is I think that if we could get just five new people onto split boards or ski touring kit out in the back country each season, which sounds like hardly anything, but those five people are the people that are gonna, gonna try it again. Maybe we get 20 people out, but five people try it again. And those people stay and stick in with this space and are part of it. That is a major win and it feels great and it feels like it, it's a success, even if it's just one or two people. And then that is helping to grow it and it feels like um, as an individual, I have been active in this space. I've kind of, or as a, as a crew, we've been active in this space to bring a few more people in. And um, that really fuels me. And I think I'm really inspired by grassroots movements around the UK, around Europe in this outdoor space and that's really what fuels me and makes me think that um, there is change happening because there's change happening in that area. We don't need to look at it as a whole. Like, is there change happening in the brands? Is there change happening with athletes? Is there change happening as a system as a whole? Well, there's a lot more grassroots movement that are doing amazing things. Um, like I had an amazing interview with Aisha from the Wanderlust Women, the Muslim hiking group um, founded by Amira. And I was just absolutely kind of energized and inspired and invigorated by that, by her, by the conversation and dialogue with her, listening, chatting it all out. And I think that that progression comes from me looking in that space. Maybe, I don't know if how much it's changed as a whole. I don't want to take on that to answer that. I don't know if I have an answer for it. It would be, you know, we'd have to delve deep and do some big research on it. But um, I think from what I'm seeing, there's some great changes. Um, and I think that's kind of key to thinking about... Um, you know, I was going back to kind of the previous question, feeling frustrated in the industry at times of not having this support. Um, I've also kind of shifted to, well, I've actually got major support in the industry. You, Matt, you, Leslie, you, Lauren, it's like, that's brilliant. That's what I, that's actually what I need to keep going in it. And it's the same kind of thinking about um, looking at whether the industry has changed. Well, I don't, Wanderlust Women wasn't um, operating before 2019. And they exist. So, yeah, it's changing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I've got, I've got a question for you, actually, Leslie. Um, 
because well, I mean, well, for everyone really, but I guess my question is like, at what point does does like because um, like if I, I you know with this and with what I do and what I've always done, I've definitely sort of set myself up as like a bit of an arbiter of like this the scene, you know, like I I've been very critical recently of certain administrative approaches um on the uh on the gb snow sports and gb surf side i'm i'm not going to i don't want to get you to talk about it specifically but what i what what i've thought about that is am i just guilty of another form of like really effectively toxic gatekeeping here like am i am i like because what i'm essentially saying there and i've certainly had this criticism from people who've given me criticism for for some of the views i've espoused recently is like you're just doing the thing that you criticize, you know, like you're, you're actually doing the Mike Ranquit. You're basically like, if you don't do it the way that I think is the right way, then it's, then you're out, you're not in. And I've definitely thought about that. I've definitely thought like, is that, yeah, I mean, I, I do get that perspective. I do understand like why, why people would, would think that, you know, like, I just wonder what you think about that really. Cause, cause I, I think it's quite a legitimate point in a lot of ways, really, even though I'm coming at it from what I think is like quite a um, inclusive approach, let's say. I just wonder what you thought about that, really. Um, so there, there's obviously a number of ways I could answer that question, and they'd all be super interesting to unpack. Um, when it comes to action sports, and I'm so lucky. I've, I've done lots of action sports my whole life. I've grown up in Aviemore and grew up razzing about the woods on my bike and before mountain biking was a thing and spent the best part of my adult life sliding about on some form of skis or snowboards, um, surf, skateboard, whatever. I've been lucky to do all of those things. I see the world through my experiences and my skills obviously got very high skills, although I'm getting old, so they're diminishing, in those areas through which I experience the world and myself. The experience of myself is what I use to understand the world. And as a participant, and with the body and the skills and the, you know, the apparatus I've got to interpret my world, what makes sense to me is the the thing that people do the sport for and Lauren Hi um, picked up on it earlier when you find some common ground with somebody who's an executive but likes to go skiing in Vail and you instantly click because they understand they get it they get that special thing sometimes we've called it the stoke in the past because that that seems to fit in some sort of way it might not be the complete fit but um, I think if the I unifying use unifying idea exactly yeah. the yeah. the universe the unifying idea or feeling that you get um, the accomplishment you get the meaningfulness you get from doing these sports um, tends to um, point you in the direction of organizing and planning in a certain way and we worked on this a lot in the idea of radical games. Yeah, I mean, me and you. you know, how do you, at the very <laughs> high end, you know, but super geeky, really technical, really tactical, really strategic, at this really high end, the edge of progression, the edge of what is possible as a coach or a, a manager or a director, how do you plan to support new things to happen at the high skill level? Um, that's not an easy thing to do, but you, you need to do it in a way that will um, allow for 
the stoke to happen. Otherwise, it won't happen. It's impossible to happen. And it's a, what happened today, a, you know, obviously a much lower skill level for the, the amazing group we had today who have had never experienced ski touring or split boarding before. They got into that radical gain zone for them. It was their radical gains. They had a meaningful experience and they upped their skill level. They'll remember that's a life-defining moment. Um, we had to work hard to orchestrate the experience and it had to, to happen yeah. in an emergent way. And if you take a really structured approach and a hierarchical um, way of setting that up, you, you are, it's a mutually exclusive step. It won't happen. And then well, does that defeat the, the, the purpose? The, this, is, this is, again, like... You're the slowest member in the group, so fuck off, essentially. As a metaphor, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it is. Yeah. And, and so going back to my point about how do you um, facilitate direct lead? It's not really lead because you're not owning. You're not um, in the position where you want to, to tell people what to do. How, how do you make that happen for a group? And I think that's what you're picking up on. You know, I th um, I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't want to I put mean, words in your mind. No, of course. And I, I'm just, I guess I'm asking the question because I, I talked to Ed Lee about it as well. And he was like, well, it's the wrong question. The question is, do they care about the culture and do they have a, an, an actual um, stake in the culture that means that they will make decisions for the benefit of the culture? That's the question, which is kind of also, you know, in a similar area that you're talking about, really. Um, I guess it's just... There, there's also a meeting of different systems in action. When you, whenever you get, and then, you know, I'm really talking a generalist perspective here, whenever you've got high-performance sports system meets action sports culture, you have competing agendas, competing worldviews, competing philosophies, and if at that point the work, the kind of work that we've been talking about how do you see each other's perspective? How do you create collaboration? How do you go into that, um, the sum of the whole is better than all of the parts zone? Um, unless you can do that, then you have a culture clash and inevitably um, the sum of the parts becomes less um, or the whole becomes less than the sum of the parts, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess we all see it as quite an intuitive thing, don't we? Because we've been doing it for a long time and have those experiences and and have led to strong views in this particular area right I think in just kind of in a <laughs> my view on humanity as a whole is that <laughs> <laughs> oh there's the hour mark oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll wow. keep this short <laughs> do you want to take this one over Lauren <laughs> Oh, just no, please, please proceed. So I can't follow Leslie without having, you know, a deeper, <laughs> deeper thought to this yeah. whole conversation. <laughs> but honestly, in my in my worldwide view of humanity, of the people making the decisions, whether it's in our little old uh, snowboard world or it's uh, political decisions, if they're putting people over profit, then we're in a good place. And um, I think in the case of you, Matt, questioning whether you should. You're, you, are you becoming one of the gatekeepers? Well, you're a passionate advocate within this, you know, snowboard industry and you've been in a long time and you're passionate about it. And that's, you know, a big check in 
in my book about you know you putting your opinion out there is important because you Lauren Leslie you're all kind of in positions of um you know influence of people listening to what your opinion is and you're not shouting at them saying this is what this is what you need to believe you're putting out what what you believe and I think that's a really strong thing and I'm very much in awe of people in our industry who are doing that and then we can make our mind up we you know we listen we talk about it and make our own minds up and I think that's important but if you were coming from it as somebody who you know wasn't really that interested in being in the outdoors and wasn't that passionate about it and we're just trying to make money off selling something in it I'd probably have a different answer I'd, prob- I'd probably <laughs> gone about that the wrong way <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all have maybe <laughs> well that is our cue <laughs> i was about to say actually we've got a yoga session to uh oh, to, to, to get to well, well i hadn't quite finished my opinion on humanity and all that, but <laughs> we can come back to it another time it's all come right back to that post yoga yeah <laughs> so there you go that was me leslie hannah and lauren hope you enjoyed the episode I cannot speak highly enough about what Leslie and Hannah have created with their wandering workshops. It was a brilliant few days, an absolutely fantastic introduction to the joys of Scottish skiing and snowboarding, ski touring, split boarding, in as welcoming environment as you're going to find. To find out more, give them a follow on Instagram. And if you're looking for a unique winter experience next year, then what are you waiting for? Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, I do have a day job. I was up there with my company, um, All Conditions Media. A lot of people who listen to this are often fairly surprised to learn that I have a full-time job, but it is indeed true. Um, we are a marketing agency. We run campaigns for brands like Adidas, Art Tariq, Yeti, DB, Dana, and so on. We founded it in 2005, and now 17 years later, I am fairly surprised to find myself in the position of running an agency that employs 16 people working remotely all over the shop. Um, we've just done another range of ads to hire a load more people. So it looks like we might be up to 20 people by the end of the year, which is fairly mind-blowing. Anyway, because we're a fully remote agency, we do these trips every few months where we get everyone together, which are always a right laugh, as this one was. In fact, Team ACM decreed this was my Hindu, um, which was pretty funny, I've got to say. Um, anyway, big thanks to everyone from ACM who came on the trip and for being such great sports. It was really great to see everybody getting stuck in. Like I say, we're doing a lot of hiring at ACM right now. So if it's of interest, why not apply? Find out more over at our Instagram at allconmedia. God, I nearly said at we look sideways because I'm so used to saying it. So what else is going on? Well, I've got some more details on the forthcoming Looking Sideways live event that I've been talking about a little bit. It's actually going to happen in Hossegore in June, which is quite exciting, eh? So I'm collaborating with my pals at DB and Wasted Talent on an event with the working theme of travel and creativity. The lineup is still to be confirmed, but names like Chris Burkhard, Kepa Asera, Sage Kotzenberg, um, Craig Anderson uh, are being bandied around. There's plenty more. Um, it looks like there's going to be a panel discussion perhaps an exhibition, some film showings, loads of other good stuff. Um, Looking sideways live. I've been threatening it for years. It's actually going to happen in Hossegore, like I say. Dates for this are going to be... Let's have a look. Fascinating live podcasting here while I look at my iCal in real time. Um, It's going to be the 17th and 18th of June, I think. So... 
you know, I've been talking about this looking sideways live thing for for a while, not least in the last couple of episodes with Tim and Gendel at Christmas. And the idea has always been to do this like big curator led thing, which is, um, you know, copying the old Meltdown Festival or Brighton Festival thing where you get somebody in a personality to like front the whole thing. You change the curator each time and they help me program the lineup. Um, so we're not quite going to do that this time because we're going to start quite small. Um, but yeah, it's a great way of me for me to explore this idea, really. I'm also talking to some other friends about doing a winter one in January um, somewhere in the world, which could be pretty epic, I think, if that one comes off. Um, I mean, my goal with this is to basically do a proper little, you know, mini festival, really, at some point. I, I chatted to The Wave a while back about basically getting the wave for an entire weekend and hosting it there and and you know basically we'd sell tickets i think the idea is people would stay on site in the in the little tents that they've got there and then you know we'd set up the whole wave site so it was it could be done for this festival people that bought tickets you know they'd be staying on site they'd get a few surf sessions they could attend all the all the sessions um so we got quite far with that conversation but what i've decided to do is basically like i say dip my toe in the water, take it steady, do this one first in June 2022, look at this one in January 23, this winter version, and then probably build up to the kind of festival vibe um, in autumn 2023, hopefully at the wave. Um, And that would be, probably have to sell about 200 tickets for that to make it viable, which is a fair amount. I mean, I've got a lot of people listening to this, but I think asking people to you know, put their hand in the pocket to the tune of 200 quid when there's a lot of options is is obviously like quite a big ask, as the kids say. So um, I'm going to do it this way. The one in June, um, I think it's just a case of like, if you want to come, just pitch up. Um, If you're in town, come and say hello. Obviously, I will be, you know, promoing the shit out of this over the next couple of months. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. It should be really great. Um, the other exciting thing about this is that we're going to use that event to launch the Looking Sideways Media Apprentice Scheme that I've also been chatting about for a few months. Um, more details on that to follow. But basically the idea, again, something I discussed in the winter podcast with Tim and the Christmas podcast with Tim and Gendel is just find somebody who's not in the game. You know, find somebody who's looking for a leg up into, into the industry on, in a creative way you know maybe maybe you're a writer a photographer you know you want to do some podcasts because there's not enough of them around right now um maybe you're an artist maybe you just got a good idea creatively and you don't know how to get it off the ground and you can enter this looking sideways media apprentice scheme if you win um you're going to get a grant with which to develop your idea and you're going to get mentored by me and some other people I think it's a pretty good idea, really. Um, and we're hoping to launch that at this first Looking Sideways live event in Hossegore in June this year. So um, that's exciting, isn't it? Busy few months ahead. Um, um, I'm also, I've am also i also signed up for a 6K swim in July. Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, to-do list writing, I think, let's say, in the next couple of months. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening, as ever, and I will see you next time. Nice one. 